Although I like Justin Deering's uh, comment of all you need is Slack, Discord, Microsoft Teams, and Skype to communicate these days. All of which are like four. Of, I don't have it all, so I feel like I'm even more behind the times because I thought it was like. I don't think your broadband could handle those. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. It is episode 225 of Bourbon Pursuit. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny, and the past few weeks, we've been covering a lot of recent bourbon news. So this week, there isn't too much to cover, but there is one new release, and that is that the master distiller of Michter's, Dan McKee, as well as their master of maturation, Andrea Wilson, have announced the release of their 20-year-old bourbon. The 2019 20-year bourbon will be bottled at 114.2 proof and will have an MSRP of $700. Now, this one is pretty coveted by a lot of affluent bourbon people out there, so good luck this hunting season trying to find it. Well, that's really all the industry news for now because the roundtable is where we're going to discuss some of the latest happenings. And as usual with tonight's topics, you will find links to the articles in our show notes. But we need to talk a little bit about bourbon pursuit news lately. So let's kind of talk about what's happening with us. Pursuit series is moving at a rapid pace. This week, we sold out of episode 17 in record time. Of course, this really wasn't a surprise to us because this was our privately labeled Willet Distillery barrel of their own product, which is the first NDP private label that has ever happened, happening under the Pursuit Series brand. And we've also opened up episode 12 and 13 to the public, and you can purchase those today by going to PursuitSpirits.com. With Sealbox as our online retail partner, these bottles can be shipped to a good percentage of states around the country and to your doorstep. There are less than 50 bottles of episode 12 and only 30 bottles of episode 13 remaining, so go and check it out. We're also now hitting retail stores in Kentucky. The first private barrel that was selected by Justin's House of Bourbon has been delivered and is now available on their floor as well as on their tasting bar. This is episode 14, and I remember when Ryan and I were tasting this barrel, it just hits you like a mouthful of Captain Crunch Berries. And if you are in or around the Lexington area, Ryan and I will be at Justin's House of Bourbon on November 5th at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern to talk about this release and Pursuit Spirits just more in depth. You can get more information about this event on our Facebook page with the link in our show notes, and we really hope to see you there. But we're still not done yet. Episode 15 was a barrel that we selected that will be hitting shelves across Kentucky starting next week. This barrel's show notes talk about some of the most pronounced flavors that we got out of it, and it's a chocolate cherry pound cake. Heidelberg, who is our distributor, has told us that they started filling out purchase orders this week, so you will begin to see it pop up on shelves across liquor stores as well as on-premise locations in Kentucky. So if you're a retailer and you'll be carrying our bourbon, send us a message. We can give you a shout out on some of our social pages. Well, that's all. Let's go ahead and get on with the show. You've got Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Patreon subscriber Andrew Pulaski. He asks, what do you think of all the blending compared to single barrels and small batch? Now, Andrew, this is a great question, and you obviously have been reading my work for some time to know that this will spark a, a real passion in me to talk about the history of the word blend. 
See, the word blend in American whiskey has always been a dirty term, and it goes back to the 1800s when blenders were adding things like tobacco spit and prune juice, and these people were called rectifiers, and they were working with wholesalers and putting it out on the street. People would buy it. Doctors would even prescribe it, and they would find that their patients would not get well. So that led to the effort of the Bottled and Bond Act, where distillers lobbied so bourbon consumers could be protected. Doctors could have a guarantee that they were serving their or prescribing their patients legitimate, pure, 100 proof whiskey. But the Canadian whiskey blenders did not like it at all. At that time, the Canadians were coming into uh, America and starting to sell their whiskey for the cheap, knocking out the straight distillers and some of the people that we know as like George T. Stagg, E.H. Taylor. And so there started this feud at that time between blenders, both American and Canadian, and straight whiskey distillers. Now, this would continue well for the next 50, 60 years. After Prohibition, distillers didn't have a lot of liquid to play with because they had sold it all uh, on the medicinal market during Prohibition, or they didn't have the opportunity to distill again. So there was not a lot of supply. So the distillers, what they would do is they would blend a little straight whiskey in, with grain neutral spirit. The and blend was not good. The the distillers could not wait to get away from the, the blended whiskey and start putting out their age stock. And as soon as they did that, they started moving away from the word blend. And then the Canadians would actually try to come out with like a bottled and bond at that time. And that led to a little bit of a trade dispute between the United States and Canada. But that's another story, maybe another above the char. But at that time, between the 1940s and 1970s, the American distillers kind of banded together to eliminate the word blend from the American whiskey vocabulary. They replaced the word blend with mingling or marrying barrels together. So the actual action of bringing all these barrels together for, for a batching process really should be called blending. But because the American distillers did not like that term because it was associated with the rod cut stuff of the 1930s and the piss poor whiskey of the 1800s, that they decided to just completely eradicate it from the distilleries. Now, we move forward to present day and you have brands like High West and Barrel Bourbon who don't actually have all the stocks at their disposal, but they're buying them from wholesalers and barrel brokers. And they take these barrels and they blend them with other barrels from other states and other distilleries, creating unique flavor profiles. And they have absolutely turned the, the business upside down and made the term blending a positive term again. But here's why. They're not blending in grain neutral spirit. What they are blending are straight whiskeys. So these are whiskeys that are at least two years old and they haven't been adding flavoring or coloring. So it's as pure as something that is bottled and bond. It's just coming from various distilleries. Now, given that American whiskey always has shenanigans, I know at some point during this wonderful trend, this resurrection of the term blend that we're seeing, we're going to have someone who takes advantage of it and start pumping out grain neutral spirit, coloring it and calling it an award-winning blend. So be prepared for that next wave. As soon as someone in this business creates something good, someone comes around and ruins it. And that's this week's 
above the char. If you have an idea, reach out to me on Patreon, just like Andrew did. That's Patreon at Bourbon Pursuit. Until next week, cheers. And they're off for another Give 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Knows Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to knowsyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of Bourbon. Kenny, Ryan, and Fred all back here on Bourbon Community Roundtable number 38. We're back, fellas. How's it going? Woo! All right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what we haven't done this in a while because the last time we did this was on stage at Bourbon and Beyond. So it's it's been a few weeks, so it's good to see everybody once again. So Fred, how you been? You finally decompressed since then? Uh, I feel like I've done like 10 other events since Bourbon and Beyond. So uh, it just went from one to another. Like, I feel like Bill Belichick, just I'm, I'm on to Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Cincinnati needs some help, actually. <laughs> They're awful, aren't they? Oh, my God. Oh, it's it's a terrible, terrible season. But again, this year, I mean, it's at this point, I don't really think anybody's like really upset. They're just kind of like, eh, it's fun. We'd go pay for $12 beers and watch our team lose and... We'll see it again next week. Well, it, it's uh it's a hard day to be a Bengals fan. And if you're a San Francisco fan, holy cow. Woo. Mm. They look good. Yeah. So Fred, it seems like you paid a lot of attention to this. Are you uh, big on fantasy? Uh yeah, yes. I'm uh regard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing very well this year. No, I, I'm I think I'm I'm 
only won two games, so I'm I'm doing pretty terrible. What about you, Ryan? Well, I'm uh, four and three, but I'm on a four game winning streak. So, uh, and I'm looking at my score right now. I'm down by two, but I have James Conner playing right now. So, uh, go Steelers. Yeah. Well, one thing I'll tell you that I did this year, Kenny, with a, a friend of mine, uh, Steve Zabin, who is a uh, national uh, radio personality, and Paul Charchian, who's a, a professional fantasy kind of guru. We started a league together, like a small league. We called it Whiskey League. And the entry bot the entry was a bottle of whiskey. And the um, every week somebody gets chopped. And at the end of the season, the 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 winner will get every bottle of, of whiskey. I was out in uh, week two. So I will not be getting that whiskey. At least you weren't dead last. I mean, that's that would have been embarrassing had you been yeah. out week one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one. It was bad. <laughs> all right. So let's go ahead. Uh, we've only got two other people all here that you've all heard before, but you know, Blake, Jordan, let's go ahead. Let's hear about your fantasy lineups as well. Uh, the only fantasy lineup you need is, um, you know, we're going to call it Minchu mania here in Jacksonville. Um, you know, five time rookie of the week. Uh, maybe not five time. That could have been an exaggeration, but uh no, I don't play much fantasy football. Um, You're busy playing real football. Right? Yeah, yeah, you know, as a former <laughs> NFL tight end, I don't like to get out there and uh, play, play fantasy leagues. No, it's just never one I got into. But um, yeah, good time of year. And also, I'm Blake from Bourboner. Um, and thanks for joining us tonight. That's B O U R B O N R. Find me on all the social medias. If you haven't heard it 38 times by now. <laughs> now you got it. Time to spell it out. <laughs> For that new listener out there, if you haven't heard it, there it is. That's true. That's true. All right, Jordan, go ahead. Sure. This is Jordan from Breaking Bourbon, one of the three guys who runs Breaking Bourbon. Uh, go to the site for the latest reviews and weekly calendar updates. Find us on all the socials and Patreon at Breaking Bourbon. My fantasy lineup is not doing so hot this year. So I think I'm three and four, hopefully going to be four and four after tonight. We'll see how Juju does. Uh, for sure. All right. So let's go ahead. We'll kick it off. Start with our topics. And, you know, the first one is it can't be that, you know, crazy to think about because bourbon really doesn't move a needle or something really doesn't happen without marketing involved. <laughs> and we kind of look at the way that bourbon marketing has kind of progressed over the probably the past two to five years. Um, I, I remember I think it was a post that Wade had showed on Facebook just um I think it was earlier this year, but I think it was not more than five years ago. There was on Buffalo's Trace, they used to have like the Bourbon Babe of the Day or the Bourbon Babe of the Month. And you could actually go and vote for women in like bikinis and stuff like that. No I way. Think, yes. Yeah. Very, very way. Like this it's is like, like those, uh, this is recent. Calendars. Oh, very recent. Like 2015. It wasn't like, yeah, yeah. we're not talking about 1991 or anything. <laughs> exactly. Wow. So it's actually relatively recent in the, the whole the saloon. You know, Absolutely. Yes. Uh, and so I guess the one thing that we want to kind of talk about here is like, what else are brands doing to try to navigate their future and kind of change perception of their brand? You know, Buffalo Trace, of course, they stopped doing that. Uh, they've got a, a lot of good stuff on Twitter and Instagram of just like one little one liners are out there. But one of the ones that's kind of really new and comes to my mind is the one that's with Wild Turkey and Matthew McConaughey. You know, he kind of comes on, he talks about, hey, I'm the creative director of Wild Turkey, and I'm the co-founder of Long Branch, and he wants to showcase stories of people. And the weird thing, at least for me, is that there is literally no tie or talk about whiskey 
in the entire thing. And it's all about just elevating new people and new ideas and stuff like that. And it's called Talk Turkey. So I kind of want to push over to you guys. Like, what do you all think? Like, is this a, is this a pretty like safe move? Like to be able to spend this much money to have this big a name on something and then not even promote the product, whatever, except like just on text on a YouTube video. So I'd never seen it till tonight. Uh, full disclosure, you sent the topics out, so I watched it, and I was like actually impressed. I was like, uh, "Warren and Kenny, you need to step your game up with like <laughs> editing, and like we need a leather bound couch and uh, a cocktail guide." Making yeah, we'll, drink. We'll, we'll put that on. Yeah, the next the next uh, uh, payout, we'll make sure we put that in our budget. <laughs> but exactly. Yeah. Fine. Come on, keep contributing, Patreon. We need we need that leather couch. <laughs> no, just kidding. But I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. Um, the the funny thing is that I, I I'm a sucker for inspiring stories. Like you get tell me like a cool entrepreneurial like somebody that's kind of rose from the ashes, and that's what seems to be the theme of uh, all three videos. I, I enjoy that. But uh, the funny thing is, you see, they don't actually they make the drinks and they sit there the entire time, and I don't think they ever drink them or talk about them or anything. So it's it is kind of odd that it is so focused on that kind of entrepreneurial spirit and not much the whiskey. Like you would think they would talk about what's in the recipe they're drinking or what are they doing? I don't know. There's just, but I, but I kind of like it because you have to go to fringe audiences to bring new people in. I mean, if they were to sit around and we would enjoy it if they were sitting around talking about tasting notes or whatever, but we're already customers. So you got to look to the fringe to bring new people in. So I think, so it was interesting. I was working in the ad industry when they brought on Matthew McConaughey as the creative director, right? And it was a big deal because they literally made him the highest paid creative director in the entire advertising industry when that took place, right? I think that's what they were looking for though. I think they were looking for something a little different and that's why they gave him so much freedom and control and also so much money. I, I mean, if not, he's just like another celebrity, no offense to Mila Kunis, but if not, you just have like a celebrity walking through a, you know, a Rick house and pouring some bourbon. I think what it's doing is it's it's people now know, right, Wild Turkey, even if it's just by association, it's going to be Matthew McConaughey. Just kind of like you see him on TV driving in a nameless SUV, you're probably like, oh, it's a Lincoln commercial, right? Just by association of who he is and what he does and the stories he tells. So I think it's a really interesting, smart move by Wild Turkey trying to branch out and being more mainstream and hitting that more mainstream audience than just showing somebody pouring a bottle of whiskey in a distillery or something like that, right? It tunes in those those people who might not be hardcore bourbon drinkers who might be interested in maybe doing a cocktail or just want to listen to a good story. And before they know it, they're like, oh, you know, next time I'm out, I'll try a wild turkey cocktail or something, or I'll buy a bottle of wild turkey. Genius move on my part, or genius move on their part, I think. I'll say that this is something that I've been personally involved with, uh, Bourbon Up in season two. Uh, there's a, a lot, there's not really a lot of... Um, you know, breakdown of bourbon discussion. You know, my first guest is uh, the Golden Globe award-winning actor, Jeffrey Wright. And this is kind of the evolution of, of where we're going. We're, we're bringing bourbon to the conversation, but it's not necessarily the conversation. And that's what Bourbon and Beyond is. That's what uh, a, a lot of these efforts with celebrities is all about. And the fact is, is that we're never going to be able to break down the mash bill to the 35-year-old woman shopping at Bed Bath & Beyond. As much or, as I want to do that, or it's trap not going to happen. Exactly. Trap Kitchen looks like they could care less about the bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> They're but, like, <laughs> but they want to drink it. They want to learn about it in a very 
you know, minimal way. And if we, if we get them to come to that next level, then the next thing you know it, they're watching this podcast. It comes down to that. We have to capture the fringe consumer. And that's what all of this is about. So I absolutely applaud uh, Wild Turkey for spending millions upon millions of dollars to get uh, new people into bourbon. And if Trap Kitchen, if you're watching, hello, if this is the first time you're watching. Yes. So that's that's awesome. We'll take your food. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's just, it just about casting a bigger net. You know, you, you know, you're not going to get everyone, but um, obviously, the wider you cast the net, the more likely people are to get to this level of, of fandom and and uh, interest in bourbon. So, not everybody's going to want to know the bash bills and everything. That, but that doesn't mean that you know, next time they're out of the out of a bar, they may order a bourbon old fashioned instead of you know, vodka soda or whatever, whatever they may be drinking. So I think that's the whole point. And, you know, it, it was really well done. It was entertaining. And, you know, even as somebody who watches a lot of bourbon stuff, I still watched it and enjoyed it. So, yeah, sure. I just wish on the cocktail side, they like said what the guy was making or what they were drinking or like, cause like I knew they were <laughs> drinking old fashioned on the first one, but the second one, like, is that a bourbon mojito or is that a bourbon <laughs> and soda? Like, what are they doing? Just a little bit what? of, uh, yeah, of bourbon, um, relevant, not relevance, but yeah. And yeah, and, just some, it had, like I said, I think that's the only thing where they really missed the ball on is that there was just really no tie in to the whiskey in itself. Like I, there was never any mention of it. It was just stories of people. I mean, it's, it's kind of like one of those things if you think about it's like if somebody was to start like let's say that this bourbon podcast like blew up and then we're like oh yeah we're sponsored by ibuprofen right it's just like there's you know we don't really like talk about it but it's just like it's just like a big sponsorship so and i guess i'll also kind of take a a little bit of a devil's advocate role here and if you think about it if you are if you are a bourbon consumer and you looked at some of like the previous commercials that had come out on national tv of like jimmy and eddie like in the warehouse and and talking about their product you kind of feel like oh like this is homey like this feels like it feels like something relatable like i know these people um like i don't relate to a, a big wave surfer right and so that's kind of where i think like it's cool just to have extra content um and it's also just in my opinion, it's just social media and YouTube is kind of what it's targeted at. So trying to figure out exactly like, how do you scale this to reach a mass audience? I think is, it's a little bit tough to figure out on their end. I think we should do a retreat. I don't know if you watched the third one, the Yokin away or something. We should all take a retreat to one of those cabins in Australia, <laughs> urban community round table. Yeah. Hog and turkey Down and under edition cabins. live on uh yeah can we get wild turkey to sponsor that i'll i'll be willing to travel with matthew mcconaughey <laughs> yeah we need to you're the one that gets all these sponsored trips i don't know we, <laughs> so I, gotta, I gotta we gotta go to uh the chat here john henderson saying that you know he's kind of jealous of matthew mcconaughey i mean uh he's kind I of like too. he's kind of done that you know he's kind of like that guy that all dudes kind of um you know, want to be in some respects. I just like that they're trying something new, right? It's so different that it hasn't been done before in bourbon specifically that, you know what, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe it does. Maybe it takes off. It continues to be a thing for them, but at least they're trying something new versus just doing the same old, same old. Here's kind of my thought on it too, is like why YouTube? So like, I, I, I know like this business a little bit and they could have bought time on a network like FYI or A&E. And I, I question as to whether or not that would have better traction for them than, than YouTube. That's probably my only criticism of the whole thing is the, is the vehicle in which they chose. To well, younger out. new consumers are on YouTube. They're not on 
you know, those big cable networks, everybody's cutting the cord there. If you look at the statistics for Gen Z, it's ridiculous how much YouTube they consume versus TV and those it's above drinking age now. So they're going after the target. There you go. Good market research. And so while we're still on the, the, the topic of talking turkey, uh, we'll actually talk about one of the, the newest things that kind of hit the TTB. That means that it is not officially released. There is no official release statement or anything like that. But I think it makes everybody a little bit happy to see that there's going to be a rare breed rye, a, a barrel proof rye out there. And, you know, I, I think I know, you know, I know Fred's uh, kind of ruined rare breed for the rest of the nation already in the past few weeks uh, for fuck's sake <laughs> it's kind of like having a hard on for mckenna <laughs> in our blind tasting did i not hate mckenna in no, that uh, in that bottle of bomb blind tasting i know yeah. it was awesome That's i mean a single barrel should not be accepted into uh <laughs> That's um, very true working another on that. Yeah. working on that actually so anyway, let's get back to kind of rare breed rye. So kind of talk about what do you all think? I mean, I don't think anybody's not excited for this. Oh, no. I mean, I mean, find one bourbon enthusiast who doesn't want a, uh, you know, well, are they calling it barrel proof? I mean, that rare breed always gets me because I know barrel proof isn't technically. Uh, well, it's like 112 is what the first label is, but it's yeah, it, it can be whatever. You know, it's pretty crazy to think that coming off of the, um, you know, the master's keep, um, what was the master's keeper eye that they did? What was the name of it? I guess Cornerstone. it was Cornerstone. Cornerstone. Yeah, coming off of the Cornerstone release that they follow back up. But I guess it makes sense because that one got a lot of, you know, a lot of fanfare, a lot of attraction. So to release this, you know, I feel like that's going to be one of those mainstays on everyone's best value list. Um, you know, whiskeys you should be drinking right now, all that kind of good stuff. So I think it's it's great. I mean, I'd I'd love to have more high-proof wild turkey rye on the market. Yep. Eddie first told me about his plans to do like a uh, a rare breed rye about two years ago. And I think he's been trying to like break this through, you know, Campari for several years. So I, I feel like this is one of, this is a great win for Eddie Russell. It's going to be an everyday uh, product that's on the market. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be distributed nationally. I mean, this is a very, very exciting day for 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 whiskey geeks because I do think you'll be able to find this. Well, Eddie's son Bruce, he's like a huge rye fan. Like that's like he says he's been pushing rye for them for a while. And uh, but Jimmy hates rye, right? Like, or does, yeah. does, does it like it? It's well, he they he comes from that old mold of like you know. You know, Pennsylvania was was rye country in Maryland, right. and uh, and rye was for blending if it was coming from that region. So uh, he's very much a bourbon man. Well, yep. I mean, I, like I said, I think everybody's kind of excited for having some wild turkey barrel proof expressions that are out there. And I think Blake really kind of said it here is that if you can put this into the value category, many people are going to be you know, kind of driving towards it. I mean, it's, it hopefully just doesn't go the way of values of like Elmer T. Lee and Weller 12 and stuff like that, uh, which it certainly could be if it comes out in a smaller release cycle or something like that. But to this day, we haven't seen anything from Rare Breed not making its way on the shelves until about a month ago. Um, It'll be interesting because, you know, you'll, you can find wild turkey and all their variants, uh, left and right, but sometimes it's hard to find the rye, especially, especially on the shelf, at least, you know, traveling around and looking for it. So hopefully it's a little more accessible, but I think like anything else, not like anything else, but I think like everyone else, rye has become really hot. 
right? You just saw Heaven Hill with Elijah Craig Rye coming out. I think you've been noticing that over the years. So I think it's great seeing a Rye revival um, and just more options for folks. And I'm super excited for it. It's going to be super tasty. And, you know, it's it's actually a category that has broad reaching flavors. I mean, there's a lot of people who don't like Dad's Hat Rye out of Pennsylvania. God damn, Jordan. <laughs> Let me tell you, this cork and this rebel yell. Holy shit. You just time over in a bottle, Jordan. Let's <laughs> say, can you get any closer to the microphone? <laughs> Sorry, guys. Jordan had the I whole uh, cork in tree in there. He was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, where was I? Oh, broad reaching. There's a lot of different flavor variants when it comes to rye, you know, because it, it the, the grain comes through even after the barrel. So the higher they go, the more flavor that comes out, you know, from that particular grain. And the distillation technique, I think, can sway the flavor of rye so much more than, than bourbon. And plus, rye is very hard to ferment. So when you ferment rye, it foams up. And there's a lot of people who will add uh, enzymes to it. And enzymes will have a big impact on the flavor. So that's why you can taste some, like, you know, minerality or some Flintstone vitamins because they're pounding it with, uh, with enzymes. So... Uh, I think we have an incredible next 20 years of, of new rye whiskeys coming out. And I just, I can't wait to taste them all. I'm glad you said that about the rye, how it kind of bubbles up. I remember, Ryan, I don't know if you were there, but we were at New Riff and we were doing a tour and they were doing a batch of rye. And I mean, it was just overflowing, just like pouring <laughs> out of the fermenter tank. And they were just sitting there with a the hose, just spraying it for hours because, I mean, it just kept on just bubbling out. Uh, and, and Jordan, I like how you brought up the Elijah Craig rye. Now, this only leads to one thing, one inevitable thing that's going to happen is that yep. they're going to they're gonna have to come out with Elijah Craig Barrel Proof Rye. Yep, for sure. And I think that's probably the first thought everyone had when we all read that press release and everyone saw that is, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of one, right? So, um, and that's, I mean, I think Elijah Craig Rye is going to be hard to get only by the fact that it's starting off in four states, but I'm sure people go gangbusters once they do a Barrel Proof version of it, right? Um, I'm sure we'll see it. We might see it as a special release before we see it full time, but we'll probably see it for sure. Yeah. And at $30, uh, I don't think anybody's going to be worried about coughing up that kind of money, but I guess, uh, one other thing we'll, we'll kind of bring up and Blake, I'll let you kind of talk about this one. So actually only being available in four States as it starts going out, what do you, what's your kind of thought on it? Because I know that there's always a lot of angry people around us that, don't get their hands on and they're like, wait, it's in our backyard. Like, how can you shame Kentucky like this? Yeah. I think that just goes back to the original thing we were talking about with like the Matthew McConaughey videos of, you know, they have their market strategies. They have the certain places they want to hit. They want to come in with something new to try to get that product placement. So it's, it's a business strategy. You know, I think it's kind of a continued thing where we see, um, as Fred likes to say, not dancing with the people that brought you, but um, that's that's a part of it overall. You know, I think any of us that are not in one of those states who want a bottle will still find a way to get a bottle. Um, they know the enthusiasts are going to get their bottles, but you know, for the that that borderline whiskey drinker, they want to you know try to bring them in with something new and exciting. So um, yeah, it's brand extension, and I mean. Yes, I don't think it is fair to the guys who have been consistent, consistently drinking their stuff, supporting them. But at the end of the day, I understand the move. It's it's kind of like that's probably the smart thing in an overall healthier distillery is 
I, I will say that it, it's right now what we are seeing is we are seeing a dynamic diversity in business strategy mm -hmm. amongst all these distillers. And somehow Kentucky is kind of at like the, the, the centerpiece. It's, it seems to me like those who focus on Kentucky don't focus on something like San Francisco. And those who folk, you know, focus on San Francisco, you know, look at like Kentucky is kind of like a, a third tier market. It's really, it really is fascinating from a business perspective. So anyone who's out there who, who like studies like business strategies, you know, long-term effects, I, I would love to see people's opinion on this about uh, what the long-term consequences are of like, you know, not focusing on a market that is traditionally so core to a category. So I think, you know, and just from a high level standpoint too, right? Everyone always associates bourbon with Kentucky, right? Oh, it's Kentucky bourbon, bourbon comes from Kentucky, et cetera. And really as the push for bourbon has become just more mainstream over the years, I think this is a move to show and make people realize bourbon's an American spirit, right? Bourbon's for America, bourbon's just not for Kentucky. Right, wrong, or indifferent, right? By focusing outside of Kentucky, it's kind of a signal of, yeah, this is this is for everyone. You know, hopefully it releases in Kentucky too eventually. But right now that's what it's showing. It's just not a Kentucky thing. It's doesn't matter where you are, there's always markets out there. And and bourbon's for America. It's just not for Kentuckians. America. America. Yeah. And so I guess another question when when I keep thinking about this and I'm like, my gosh, every single year there's press releases. Uh, and I'd say there's probably like at least five as a good handful of just like big brand extensions that come out every single year. And I'm like, how much longer can we can we keep going on like this? I mean, the only people that I know that don't have a rye whiskey yet is Four Roses. Like other than that, like is there anything else that the big guys can possibly do to keep making brand extensions or, or, or we've got to hit it. We got to hit a plateau at some point. Blends of straights, blends of uh uh, bourbon and rum, like for fortuitous union, um, malts, malts, yeah, American whiskey, sweets, you can right? wheat whiskey, finishing in mead barrels, <laughs> making mead barrels. Yeah. <laughs> but you, know, I mean, but you got to think about it from, from like a, a hardcore consumer perspective. It, sure. I mean, it makes sense to kind of like maybe test the waters and put some of those out there, but from a, from something that's like a viable sort of thing, like I don't ever imagine seeing heaven hill coming out like we've got this new brand extension called heaven hill i don't know mix ninja Char blender rye. ninja blender mix right you know <laughs> whatever it's gonna be and you know they they do a bourbon a wheat whiskey and a rum in it and they think like oh yeah like people are gonna go crazy over well it. they did come out with hypnotic kenny if yeah true <laughs> true so i mean that one yeah i mean that's I don't know. The, the thing is, we think that they are thinking about us, which like in your in the chat, you said we are the one percent and they could care less. You know, they're just trying to they're just trying to, they, you know, just like you said, find those uh, niches and keep extending the brands. I mean, they, they could care less about what we think about it. I disagree with that. I mean, we we had that topic uh, a couple of weeks ago or like do bourbon cons or do the distilleries care about the bourbon consumer? I just think they're trying to find untapped, um, you know, avenues. And the one thing they're doing is they've all, and this, you got to remember, they're pulling back on flavored whiskey. You're seeing some companies like Jack is really doubling down, but you don't see a lot of these uh, distilleries, you know, push forward flavored whiskey. 10 years ago, flavored whiskey was all the rage. It was all the rage. And now it's, 
it's hardly even talked about. Far less red stags and honey yep. bourbons and all that on the market now, that's for sure. Well, I mean, they're still there. They just don't talk about them or advertise them or do anything like that. I just that drink them whenever I'm partying with Kid Rock and, uh, you know, the bands. <laughs> it's always good to have backstage patches with Blake. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> the, the thing is, actually, you actually don't need them. You just walk back and act yeah, like you know where you're going. That's, that's what you do. You don't need yeah. the pass. Just yeah. looking it's forward. Like, now I got the black band. I'm good. Let me through. <laughs> Sorry, it's only blue band, sir. All right. So let's kind of move on to the next topic here. And I guess it kind of flows in with it because, you know, we we talk about um, bourbon kind of being undervalued on this podcast all the time. Mm-hmm. And so this next topic was actually uh, really kind of spawned from Campbelltown in a recent Facebook post where he wrote to us. He said, Fred, I'm glad you re-raised the topic that I commented back on from episode 222. And in my opinion, bourbon is not and has never been undervalued. Underrated at times, sure, but not undervalued. I never use a comparison of bourbon to scotch as grounds to argue because scotch prices are just out of control, full stop. Now, if bourbon producers are making healthy profits and their employees are happy, then the various suggested retail prices are fine right where they are or used to be in some cases. So if influential folks like you, gents, continue to say bourbon is undervalued, then the producers will continue to respond accordingly. Hell, they already have. The inevitable result, weak consumers are going to pay the price literally. So the first part of that is A or nay, uh, whoever wants to take it, who thinks here bourbon has been under or overvalued in its category and why? I'll go first. (laughs) (laughs) The people's champion. The people's champion. So I will say certain uh, brand extensions are undervalued, such as like the antique, well, at retail value, like the antique collection, you know, Limited releases, yes, like hyper age stuff is undervalued compared to scotch. But your everyday brands, like they are valued correctly. Or a, a barrel of bourbon costs four hundred freaking dollars to make, and that it, even less for like the big boys. And so, when you get two hundred plus bottles out of it at a four to six year, seven year range, I mean, and you're selling it for thirty, forty dollars a piece. You know they're making plenty of money, so I don't want to hear about it. it's undervalued. It's yes, some of the higher age limited release stuff is undervalued, but your everyday brands, like we've talked about with Heaven Hill, Bond and Bond, it's priced right, or I think it's overpriced now. But that's just me. No, I, I agree with that, Ryan, and I think you know. So limited releases aside, right? Which what we'll take out of that because I think no matter what industry, and a limited release is going to hold more value no matter where you are, right? We I think we're also skewed in our thought perception of how much bourbon should cost and what we're willing to spend on a bottle. But you have to realize, especially I don't know about you guys, but you're talking to somebody outside of the bourbon industry, right? Who's not a super enthusiast, and you start talking about bottle prices, and they start looking at you like you have four heads, and you're like, oh yeah, thirty forty dollars. That's you know that's really a great value for a bottle of bourbon. That's really cheap. And to them, that's a lot of money for, to spend on alcohol, right? That's not what the normal consumer does. It's just, they, they don't. So for a lot of brands out there, yeah, you know, there might be some that are good values, right? For good value to the flavor ratio, but there's some that are that are probably overpriced like Ryan touched upon too. I think you need to, you know, I think we look at stuff through, through rose-colored glasses a lot um, and putting us in just the average, average middle of America consumer shoes and looking at the prices on the shelves when you're going out, yeah, it's probably just right where the value should be, right? I don't think it's undervalued for a lot of stuff. If anything, some of the new ones are touching on the line of being um, overpriced. Yeah, I think it, 
we kind of got to define the what what do we mean by under and overvalued the, the way i look at it is uh you know kind of to go back to economics classes of price elasticity of you know how much people or will the demand still be there based on the increase in price from that aspect yeah because they keep raising prices and the demand's still there so of course they're going to keep raising prices uh, you know i'm sure they every distillery listens to this podcast and takes their cues from us on how they should price it. But at the end of the day, what they're looking at is are people still buying it off the shelf or, you know, are the orders still coming in no matter when we raise the prices, if we come out with a new release, is it still flying off the shelves? That's all they're really looking at. So, you know, under or overvalued is, is kind of irrelevant from in their minds of just, Will the demand stay the same if we increase the prices, whether that's a dollar, whether that's ten dollars? And what it's proved, you know, been proven over the last few years is bourbon consumers are willing to spend a lot more on good bourbon. That's not great for bourbon consumers because now we have to spend a lot more on good bourbon. But there's still a lot. And I shouldn't say good bourbon. I should say, you know, these different releases. Um, because I think we all know there's plenty of good bourbon out there. But yeah, it's, you know, whether it's under or over, that's kind of irrelevant. I mean, we, we've all seen the $20 bottles that can win blind tastings, and we've all had $1,000 bottles that tasted terrible. So, <laughs> yeah, I think when you compare bourbon to other spirit or, you know, like wine or beer, or other things, like I think it's a great value, even at higher prices. Like, because mm-hmm. with wine, you could spend 10 so even on an average, you know, ten twenty dollars for an average bottle, you're only getting four drinks out of that. Whereas if you spend twenty thirty, you're you know, on a bottle of bourbon, you're gonna get like, depending on how, you know, your pores <laughs> how are. Help, yeah, how healthy your pores <laughs> yeah, are. Well, so I'm, you're, you're I'm gonna, gonna like say to twenty, you know, drinks out of that. So with that, you know, in mind, it maybe you know, it's a good value compared to. Let me others. let me just say we are not we are not actually talking about the bourbon. We are talking about paying for the marketing. Mm-hmm. So the higher you go up in price and spirits, you are paying for marketing. That's why the Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond was so important to us, is that that six-year-old bourbon had zero marketing behind it. And now you see when it's re-released, you see what marketing costs and what the development of a brand is. Marketing is everything. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the spirits business, it's 75% of the cost of outside of the taxes is marketing. And when you take a look at vodka, you can look at the sign right behind me there. What I think <laughs> about vodka, vodka is 100% marketing. It's coming off the still, they're redistilling it. I mean, they're putting it in the bottle. You know, maybe there's $2 in cost for the liquid, maybe $5. Let's say they're distilling it 100 times. And it's, it's all about the packaging. It's all about the marketing they put behind it, the celebrity. So every layer that you add to include stickers, uh, you, you're paying more for that. So if we didn't have marketing and we were going back to a time when you were just going and, and, and brokering based off of the flavor profile and what an assayer said on how good the bourbon was, then you know we would be t- having a very different conversation. Now, I am really glad that the original commenter on this said, don't compare scotch to bourbon. I'm even guilty of this, but we should not be comparing bourbon to scotch. What we should be doing is just analyzing bourbon. We don't need to compare it to scotch because scotch is a different beast. They've got bottles selling for $1.6 million. And they like to kind of flaunt that around everybody, but then they still have monkey shoulder. So 
I, I, I really do think we have to take a step back for a second and just look at this for what it is, is that the higher we go up in uh, price, the more marketing we're paying for it. And the higher we go up in price, the, the better the liquid the distillers put into the bottle. So it's going to keep happening. There's nothing that we can really do about it. But um, I would say that if you find a value brand that you really like, support it. Hey, Fred, do we need that million dollar bottle for bourbon to kind of push that envelope? If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. Fred, do we need that million dollar bottle for bourbon to kind of push that envelope? Um, I don't know if if we will see the million dollar bottle of bourbon in my lifetime. Uh, I think it will happen. We we're you know you know Pappy has sold for fifteen thousand dollars at auction. Um, you know I there is a bottle that went for a hundred thousand dollars once. It was the um, the Parker's Unity bottle, but that was for a special cause and it had everyone's um, you know whiskey poured into it. So. You know, it, it would have to be the right bottle. It would have to be the right auction. And the problem with bourbon is, is that the new chart oak keeps it from really reaching um, the level that the Chinese and the other billionaires in the world are comparing it to scotch. Even us, even we are comparing bourbon to scotch on a continual basis. And so just imagine what the people with money and the private jets are doing. You know, so they're they're looking at they're looking at bourbon and thinking that fifteen thousand dollars for a Pappy Van Winkle at auction is is a value. You know, we're not thinking that, but um, you know that's that's what it comes down to is the people with money will always look for what is scarce, what is rare, um, and what no one else in the world can get. 
We do have the $1,000 mint julep. By God. <laughs> this is, that is true. And it, and it still tastes like ass. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I so, think we... Oh, really yeah, I got, I got kind of like one more, one more question yeah, to kind on. of, uh, kind of tailor on to Fred, then I'll let you go, Jordan. Uh, cause I, I don't know if I still got your answer there. If, if you think bourbon is at a level playing field or if do you think it's actually undervalued or overvalued? Do I think bourbon is undervalued? Um, I got you, to, I got you to tiptoe around it. Now, now yeah. pulling out the hard questions. No, no, I, I don't think it's undervalued. I, I, I think it's right where it probably should be. Um, I think if you're in the business of bourbon and you own a brand uh, or a distillery, then yeah, you think it's undervalued and you want to you want to make more money off of it. But from from my perspective, as a consumer, because I do buy the majority of the the bourbon I have, I do get media samples, but I spend a lot of money on bourbon, and I will tell you that um, I won't spend secondary prices on uh, a lot of bottles uh, to include you know, the Pappy Van Winkles of the world. I, what I will spend crazy money on is something that was made prior to 1962. So I don't think bourbon is undervalued. I think we're, we're on the verge of, uh, you know, jumping up too much in pricing. Um, when you see the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection and a lot of these other really, high, like the Four Roses, to me, the Four Roses uh, limited edition small batch is is my gauge for limited edition bourbons because that their releases year in and year out have been so good and i would put any release of the four roses limited edition small batch up against any any other uh distilleries whiskey to me so that is that's the bourbon i always look to when it goes up to a thousand dollars then we've got a problem michter's well, we got a ways uh, to go then. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we do have a ways to go. Uh, Michter's, uh, they went ahead and and uh, look at looked at the secondary market and saw what people were doing there, and they priced their um, their celebration, which is fantastic. It's great whiskey. They priced it at five thousand dollars SRP, and so you will see that sitting around. So I think I think there is a limit right now for what people are willing to spend at least publicly in um, for American whiskey. But I, I don't, I don't think it's uh, undervalued. I think it's about right on the verge of going too high. All right, Jordan, what were you, what were you going to, no, I was going to say going back really quick to, to not the million dollar bottle of bourbon, but more towards, you know, don't get me wrong. American distillers, if they can, and they can push into that higher price range, they will. And you notice them pulling a page out of the Scotch playbook too, right? Double Eagle Rare. Sure, it's a, a value, a one-off special bourbon, but it's also a super expensive glass bottle, right? The Woodford Backrep Battle being sold in customs or duty-free shops only, right? Bourbon's going to keep trying to do that. And you have to remember a lot of really expensive scotch, what you're paying for is a really legit crystal decanter that, that in and of itself is a ton of money, right? So if they can tap that market, don't get me wrong, distillers will, if they find the trick, they will start doing that. And they will readily do that too, because no one wants to leave money on the table. And, and so there's there's kind of like one one other thing how the that was kind of on the trail end of of this quote was if influential folks like you continue to say that bourbon is undervalued, the producers will continue to respond accordingly. So Blake, we're all looking at you. What do you think? <laughs> Blake you, has a t-shirt says influencer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, do you think do you think we're the problem sometimes when we say stuff like this? 
No, no, because I mean, there's a whole culture around bourbon that's that's pushing it forward and all these different releases and you see some get hot and spike and then others that kind of fall off. But um, I think that's just a part of it. You know, that's part of the bourbon uh, culture and, and kind of what was a big part of the Facebook groups. Um, so maybe we won't see that anymore. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, it, it's just obviously nobody wants to pay more for these products, but at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, going back to the trading cards, if something gets hot and everyone all, all of a sudden wants it. And that's just what happens when there's more demand. So. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and kind of move on to the next subject. You know, as we start talking about value and everything like that, we got to look at just the greater market of, of what's happening here with inside of just American whiskey. And there is a new report coming out from researchandmarkets.com that is saying that the overall whiskey market is expected to grow at a compound annual growth rate of 9.9% from 2019 to reach 16.8 billion by 2025. And this focus is on bourbon, Tennessee, and rye whiskey. So the growth of this uh, particular market in American whiskey is mainly attributed to the growing demand for premium American whiskeys and a rising number of super premium and ultra premium brands, rapid urbanization across the globe, and fast-growing cocktail market. So, Fred, you know, you're the one that kind of wanted to, to talk about this a little bit because I think that you want to, to stress a point about, like, how important this research is to really expanding just American whiskey in general. So, go ahead and talk, kind of talk about it. So, I've been... Um I've been a journalist in some capacity since uh, basically 1994, and research and reports is one of those, one of those, um, or not research and report, research and markets is one of those kind of like destinations for journalists where they get data, and it's also where people like hedge fund managers, uh, multi billionaires, all those types of people get reports and they spent they will seriously spend up to $5,000 for you know particular research and data uh, before they put you know a million or two in an industry whether it's stock or it's actually on main street and so for the fact that this came from that particular portal tells me that american whiskey is getting eyeballed at a very high rate from people with money and when you have more investments coming into it, that means we're going to start seeing more. Now, I do know of quite a few billionaires who are entering the market. There are more celebrities coming on board. There are more musicians. Uh, everyone is looking to get into either bourbon or tequila. Tequila is, is, is another spirit that's kind of on that same trajectory as American whiskey. So the fact that it's coming from there tells me that this is such a... This is so big from a future like investment perspective and tells me that that bubble is very, very far from, from bursting, especially if you follow those who basically write checks for a living. Yeah. And for you don't even just, have to look at reports. You just drive down Bardstown Road and every freaking few months, Heaven Hill puts up another 50,000 barrel warehouse. There's like 10 of them now. Like two years ago, there was one, and now there's like 10. Well, we've known that, right? But, I mean, the people on Wall Street, this has still just kind of been a little bit of a, a fancy on the side. Now, in their eyes, American whiskey has proven themselves worthy of their investment and their money. And I, 
you know, and and I also don't know if it's too late for someone to enter the game at a at a high level uh, from a dis- distillery perspective. But um, I I got to look at this from from a business aspect, and it looks very positive. And it goes back to that: it's is it undervalued? Well, I don't know if I think this more the more distilleries you get in there, I think it will actually keep it in that uh, non undervalued category. Fred, I got a question for you. So a lot of distillers I talk to, they say that we're still like 30%. We're, we're only at like 60 to 70% of the stocks that we had in the 60s or, you know, in the 50s or 60s. Is That's that, correct. That's correct. And, and obviously, and they keep saying, you know, the population's grown. You know, there's more people in the world. So bourbon's still got this much more room to grow. But there's still a lot of competition, you know, like you said, from tequila, from wines, from beers, from cannabis and stuff. So, so, uh, so is that true for, yeah, we're, we're still, we're still a ways off from, uh, where we used to be. Uh, I mean, we're just now kind of getting to the numbers of where we were at some point in the seventies, but you go into like 58 to 1966 and, uh, there was far more bourbon that was being put out, but also you have to remember that there was not a lot of scotch in the market. And so the scotch that was in the market was like, was blends. Like you didn't see like a, a growth of single malts until the 1960s. So everybody was buying, you know, the people who had the money back then were buying bonded bourbon, bottled and bond. But what happened was vodka comes on the scene. And this really is why I hate vodka, everybody, because vodka comes on the scene and starts pushing, you know, bourbon over here with kind of the new crowd. And the bourbon distillers tried to react to that. And what what did they do? They lowered their proofs instead of focusing on quality. They tried it to, to like lower their quality to compete with uh, vodka and orange juice. So uh, it was a big mistake of theirs. And the uh, Scotch whiskey distillers seized the moment. So did cognac. And so you started seeing all of this uh, uh, single malts and a lot more brandies kind of come on the market and take away that market share that bourbon had. So that is, that's a little bit as to why bourbon started to fall. But at the same time, bourbon right now is on the verge of coming back. Uh, but you have to have more investment in here. You probably need, you probably need about two or three more juggernaut distillers to really get back to where we were. I mean, you, you said about this report coming out, I mean, I'm looking at the website right now. So to get your hands on this particular copy that talks about this, this forecast of 2025, uh, it's going to cost you around $3,500, if not more, to actually get your hands on it, right? Like that's a that's a pretty substantial amount of, of money to pay for something like this. So I think there definitely is some validity to what you're saying in regards of the types of people that are reading this are the ones that have that type of money to burn that are investing into distilleries or investing in startups or, uh, you know, buying out other companies or anything like that. So there's definitely something to kind of see about how big this market's growing is just from an investor standpoint. Yeah. I mean, we've had investors on the show before, right? I mean, we talked about building rick houses and all that sort of stuff too. So there's there's definitely room here for uh, more things to, to come in from you know, other markets and other people uh, for new entrants into it. It's just not going to be the big boys and uh, the large companies that might be having this kind of stuff forever. But, you know, Blake, you're, you're kind of in the financial side. I mean, like when you, when you look at this sort of stuff, is there anything that kind of like rears your head that might think it might be a little weird or kind of off or anything like that? Well, no, I mean, I think just, you know, kind of to 
to Fred's point of more juggernaut, juggernauts coming into the playing field is you see people like Bardstown Bourbon Company, Wilderness Trail, others and on with some serious capacity to make bourbon. And, you know, that's got to go somewhere. They're not all contract distilling, even though a lot of them are, but there's a lot more bourbon being made. You know, Jordan and I took a tour of Wilderness Trail and I believe I'll find my notes, but it was something like 230 barrels a day. I was there too. Yeah. yeah. I was, well, it was like, like I think it was 230, 250. 230, yeah, 250. Left Ryan in the. Uh, I was hobbling. Was a little too slow on that on one leg. But um, yeah, so it was like 230 to 250 barrels a day. So it's, a lot. You know, it just, there's, you don't make those kind of decisions on blind faith. I would assume, you know, so I assume there's market research and all that kind of stuff going into this to say, Hey, look, wait, this is where the industry is growing. And, um, you know, as I think it was in the show notes earlier, millennials or whatever generation we are buying more because we're like sitting at home drinking with our kids all night. I got a question for everyone. So there's a lot of investor people may or may not know this. You can be an investor, say like Bardstown bourbon company or wellness trail. You can buy like a lot of bourbon because there's a rule in Kentucky. It has to age a year and a day. And so a lot of investors go and buy 600,000 barrels at a time, let it age for a year and a day, pay X amount after it ages a year a day, it's immediately double worth double because it's called Kentucky bourbon. Now, do you think if that rule wasn't in place, people would even be interested in investing in that? Well, I mean, that's, is that an open question? Or is that, well, you know, because it really becomes a securities market at that point. And, you know, if you have the money, you have the right connections, why would you not do something? If if you can double your money on something after a year and a day, that, that's... Um, I mean, that would have to be a, a whole rule change of the way I look at it. I'm like, I'm like, sure, it makes sense. Like if I was to just be in the contract bourbon business, I, I definitely do that. If they change it to say like, as soon as it's stilled here and put in a barrel here, you can call Kentucky bourbon and ship it to wherever you want to go. Like that, like that's like full stop. Like next day, like I'm putting all my money in to do something like that. Yeah. Now, if they said like, Oh, it has to be aged there for the entire time until it's bottled, then it gets a little bit different. So I think there is, that rule kind of gives a little bit of flexibility in what you want to do, but you know, a year isn't that long to wait on an investment sometimes. I don't know. That's um, I think that's an interesting question, Ryan. Uh, one that a, a, a cynical person might ask. And um, Am I, I cynical? when it comes to bourbon brands and money and investors, yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yep. That, and that my friend is why you're the people's champion. And I have, that's applaud. right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I know a lot of the people who have done something like that. And after that year has happened, they've doubled down or they've increased, you know, there's something about that law. It has actually lured a lot of people in and kept a lot of people away from Indiana and uh, Tennessee. One of the things that no one really wants to talk about is MGPs kind of hemorrhaging, you know, they, they, they really hurt themselves and, and Kentucky kind of rallied, rallied around and, and blocked them out while Tennessee comes on board and starts plucking people off too on the source whiskey market. So M- MGP is the, is the one distiller. When we look at the big distilleries right now, that's really kind of hurting from a, a, from a futuristic perspective, because other than those old stocks, no one's really calling them. And, and I think that's partly because you have so many more, um, distillers coming online in Kentucky. It's like, hey, if you're buying younger stock, 
what would you rather it say on the bottle? You know, Kentucky straight bourbon or or Indiana or Indiana. And that's, um, you know, I wonder if maybe that a TTB rule change would, would, uh, change something about that. For sure. All right. So we're getting, we're running towards the top of the hour here. And I kind of want to finish with, with one last fun one, because it's still timely. We had talked about it, or at least I had talked about it in the opening of one of the podcasts here recently, and that's uh, travel and leisure. They came out, kind of broke the article, but now more media outlets are picking it up. And that is that you can rent Jim Beam's historic Kentucky home on Airbnb. Now this is right on the Jim Beam property and you can still book stays for the rest of 2019, or it might've been sold out by now and start looking for 2020. But each day is priced at a mere $23 a night, which marks the same price as a bottle of Jim Beam Black Bourbon. The only catch is that you have to be, everyone in the house has to be 21 years or older. So is this fun or is this a, a, a bad decision? Because this is the way I look at it is that uh, when people ask Ryan and I about, hey, where do we stay? We're going to the bourbon trail. And I'm like, Louisville, you come to Louisville. <laughs> uh, and then they're like, oh, we're staying in Bardstown. I go, uh, I'm going to put CC on Ryan. Ryan, go ahead and spit out your three or four places, right? Because, yeah. you know, in Louisville, <laughs> you've got, in Louisville, you've got, you got Airbnbs, you've got Marriott, you got Hilton properties, you've got tons of restaurants. Uh, and, and Bardstown's missing a lot of that. So do you kind of see this as a way to, to kind of keep people interested into it? Or is this kind of just like a PR stunt? Well, the problem with where Jim Beam is, it's like no man's land. It's like in between Bardstown and Louisville. So like, there's like literally nothing to do. So but you can only like, stay there for one night, right? Yeah. So yeah. you're moving, you're moving no matter what. Well, you'll only want to stay there one night. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, if you go, I mean, you all know where it is. It's like it's in Claremont. I mean, yeah, it's true. there's like nothing to do there except go visit Jim Beam. But uh, I heard they let you, uh, you know, just break into the warehouse and get as much out as you'd like while staying. <laughs> and actually, there was something in, in the, the, the listing that said that they have a full stock bar yeah. of Jim Beam products that you get to sample on while oh, your wow. stay is there. Yeah. So that really, I, mean, I, I think it's a really cool idea. I'd love to stay there. I don't know if there's still any nights available, but um, Jim Beam, I'll, I'll throw that out there. I'd stay there in a night in a heartbeat and pay, whatever it is, 26 bucks. But I think that's pretty cool, you know, um, kind of way to promote tourism. And I assume that's what they're trying to do more of is to not have it be, hey, you want to do a bourbon trail trip? Go stay in Louisville, you know, to try to bring more people into the Bardstown and in those other areas. Um, so it's pretty cool way to, to uh, promote it. And yeah, I, I thought it was pretty interesting. I mean, I don't so, think this is going to be a flash in the pan either, right? Because Willett's, Willett's getting ready to open up their, their on-premise place to stay. Buffalo Trace is looking at exploring one, uh, right? Building um, one, yeah. Yeah, so when you know when me and Blake were out at um, Bartstown, right? And they're talking about putting a hotel. That goes back to the whole Napa Valley and, and Kentucky and, and Burp and everything else, right? But I think we're going to notice more like destination stays out that way. Now, whether that's the right thing to do, if that's your one time going on the bourbon trail or not, that's a different question. I think we all probably unanimously agree it's not the right thing to do. But I don't think it's going to be this is like a PR stunt. I think we're legitimately going to see more distilleries doing this. And, but, um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, so that's a kind of a separate conversation. People like building, um, you know, uh, bed and breakfasts is very different than what Jim Beam has done. Just to imagine the amount of meetings they had to discuss this and <laughs> and and the imaging and the projections of the amount of media they would get. I mean, 
who knows it's not how much a money thing? Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. I mean, just think about how much time and effort they put into to creating this, and then all the media attention they got for it. I think they even got some uh, light night, uh, late night TV play on it. So, uh, you know, kudos to them. They 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 won the PR for the week. But I also want to question, like, you know. You're you're doing this. It, you're letting people stay there one night. That's that's lovely, but could that money not have been spent in a better way? Like maybe I don't know, a new fermenter, uh, you know, so another still, uh, maybe some new barrels. I mean, I don't know. I just I don't I don't look at this as being like anything more than a publicity stunt. It feels to me like it is just it was contrived in some kind of marketing meeting. And it got pushed way back into, um, you know, Claremont, Kentucky. And I can see Fred No in there saying, like, this is a dumb fucking idea. Because <laughs> it probably it probably started with his house and then got moved to the actual distillery. <laughs> you know? he's, like, he's like, no, no, nobody's staying with me. No, no. He's like, no, have you, have you seen my bathroom? <laughs> so... I, I I don't I don't see this being this is nice it got a lot of attention but it, it it is a marketing stunt I don't see it anything more than that. What I'd be interested to know is who initiated the idea was it Jim Beam or was no, it Airbnb no, or was it Airbnb? No, I'm guessing the PR firm was well, like, hey, we can. Everything I keep reading is like you can Airbnb a Jim Beam, right? It's just as much the coup for Airbnb as this for Jim Beam, right? And it shows. Yeah. Once again, Airbnb, you can go to unique parts and stay in unique places, right? So I don't know who approached who, oh, here, but and that's here's another here's another thing too is and by the way, everyone is saying on our chat feed that yes, it was a publicity stunt and it worked. You're right. You're absolutely right. So from that perspective, 100% win for Jim Beam. Uh, the other pers- the other side is Airbnb is still not an accepted thing in in the hospitality business. They're, they're basically telling all the hotel partners that they've created that, hey, we're partnering with Airbnb, who has been trying to lobby against and uh, <laughs> compete against Airbnb for, you know, the last few years. So I don't know. That may it may hurt them with like one uh, one hotel or another. I'm not giving up my Marriott points. I don't care what you say. <laughs> Hell <laughs> no. I didn't want to release this information because it's a PR firm that passed it to me. But the word on the street is Ryan Cecil's home um, in Bardstown mm-hmm. can now be turned into an Airbnb as well. As they like to call him, the founding son will now be an Airbnb that you can stay well, at. Hey, <laughs> hey uh, where I grew up, where's uh, where Stephen Foster Distillery was, uh, the, the water came from. So I got a five acre lake. You can fish. You know, it's yep. about 10, 10 grand a night all, all year. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see the PR release next week, um, yep. depending on. Yeah, we'll go the exact opposite of the Jim Beam route and just <laughs> yeah. like, just blow it out of the water. So all we need is like two people to stay there and you're set for the year, right? Yeah, all my trophies are up there too, you know, from <laughs> from Little League and varsity high school, you know, whatever. Yeah, and and I think you know, Fred, you, you totally nailed it. Like this was it was a, a PR stunt. I mean, we they got us talking, and we're doing it. We're talking about it. And as you mentioned, people are in chat. They're saying it already. Like it sold out uh, within minutes after it went online. It was only for like they said a select few days in 2019, and that was it. So perhaps at the end of the day, it's not really a, a long term strategy for them. It was just again when, when those Airbnb guests show up, they're going to be like, "This was a bad idea." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'd be like, yeah, you should have put this $23 towards a new fermenter, like Fred said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a good point. 
I'm not, I'm talking about like the meetings and all the firms they paid to get this going, but from the sounds of it, it might've been Airbnb who paid for this. And, and, and if that's the case, if Airbnb paid for all the research and planning that went into it, that's a big win for beam. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's free at the end of the day. I'll take that too. I guess there's a lot on the back end, but if you're like, Hey, we got this house. Well, let's put $23 on it. See if somebody wants to stay. <laughs> <laughs> yep, not a hard sell. All right, so that's the that's the end of tonight's roundtable. So, fellows, thank you so much for joining today, and thank you everybody that was on the chat. Uh, this is a, a fantastic long discussion of just hitting everything from wild turkey and finishing up with Beam and Airbnb and talking about bourbon being value or undervalue the entire way. Uh, so, Fred and Ryan, thank you again for joining us once again. Good to have the trio back here, and uh, Blake and Jordan. I'll let you sign off real quick too. Yeah, this is Jordan from Breaking Bourbon, one of the three guys who runs uh, BreakingBourbon.com, latest reviews and release calendars at Breaking Bourbon and all the socials. Yeah, and I am Blake from Bourboner.com. I apologize for the internet issues tonight. So whoever has to edit this episode is, uh, you know, apologize in advance. But you check me out on all the social medias, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, B-O-U-R-B-O-N-R, as well as my site, sealbox.com, where you can find a bunch of new uh, barrel picks coming up. So a lot of interesting things coming down the pipe. So check it out. And uh, thanks everyone for joining us. You know, it's always fun to have an active chat. So that, that makes it even more fun for us. So thanks everyone for watching and listening. For Hell sure. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to tr- we're going to try something different as we sign off here. So, uh Ryan, I'll let you do any kind of closing and then I want Fred to kind of close it out for us. Wait, what? What? Quick. Am I closing out for all <laughs> oh, of our yeah. pursuit? Oh, you're closing out. Oh, you're closing out this show, buddy. Hire. Right, yeah. well, see you later. Go ahead, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Fred, you're on. <laughs> oh, wait, no, Ryan's got to go first. <laughs> Toodles, go Fred. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, thanks for joining us at tonight's uh, round table. Always a good time. Uh, Big thanks to Breaking Bourbon and Bourboner. And uh, make sure you're uh, checking out the Patreon's uh, subscriber page. Look up uh, Bourbon Pursuit. Also, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Search Bourbon Pursuit. Until next week, or next month. (laughs) 